another, another final call here on Radio Massasoit, episode number 38. As always, Andrew Fantuccio, Ben Memoritas, and the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Mr. Jason Snow. Guys, NFL football kicked off over the weekend, week one. Let's give out some uh, weekly awards. We're going to do a new segment uh, weekly coming up uh, during football season here on the final call. We're going to give out some weekly awards so we can sort of uh, gloss over the entire, uh, the entire slate of games without having to cram in too much time. So let's start. Let's start with the Team of the Week award. What team surprised you or performed the best to you guys? Jason? For me, I, this might be a recency bias. But I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers last night. We can't night. have that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers last night in, in the first game of Monday Night Football. Big Ben, he was the catalyst for me underselling the Steelers this season. 21 of 32, 229 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks. James Conner didn't necessarily, you know, touch the field in the second half, but they didn't really need him uh, with Benny Snell out there. I, Andrew, you were quite high on the defense in the offseason uh, extravaganza. Um, I thought that was a little crazy, but seeing them last night, Daniel Jones did have moments where he moved the ball and he impressed me, but by and large, that defense is going to be good. It's going to be a top three defense in the league. I, I was quite low on the Steelers. I don't, still don't know if they're on the cusp of making the playoffs, um, but for team of the week, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, you're seeing the light now, Jason. Ben? I like that Steelers pick. I do because, I mean, they held Saquon to, what, five yards all night? That's crazy. Stopped him at the line, yeah. Yeah, that's just crazy. But I'm actually going to go to the NFC, and I'm going to say the Green Bay Packers. I was super impressed with them. Aaron Rodgers had a game, you know, typical Aaron Rodgers, 364 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, Minnesota had zero answers for Aaron Rodgers. They just had nothing. And that defense – was pretty stout. I mean, Kirk Cousins had a pretty pedestrian game. I want to say that nicely, but you know, it was it was a blowout. It was it was a blowout for Green Bay and you know, a lot of us I mean, all of us on the show, we kind of expected Minnesota to be that team to beat in the uh in the NFC North, but the Packers went into Minnesota and kicked them in the face. So, I mean, that that was a big statement win right there. And as far as Aaron Rodgers, you know, his replacement is right there on the sideline. Is he more motivated now more than ever to kind of prove everyone wrong? It looks like it. He was playing like it. Some of his throws were just – the touch on those throws were just, my goodness. I mean, also, uh, Devontae Adams had a game too, like well over 150 yards receiving. So, But I was just super impressed with the Packers, both sides of the ball. And, you know, I still have them winning the NFC North. So they're, my prediction is looking pretty good right now. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers kind of made me eat my own words in the uh, extravaganza episode. I so I was kind of low on the Packers. I thought his uh, his issues with management, drafting Jordan Love, would sort of be a distraction for this team. But no, he looked really good in that game against Minnesota. But my team of the week is the Arizona Cardinals. I was high on them. I still have them making the playoffs. They go into San Francisco. They play a 49ers team that beat them twice last season, and that just so happened to be the NFC, uh, defending NFC uh, the defending NFC champions. They pull out a gutsy win in a close game. Kyler Murray looked poised. He made plays with both his arm and legs. And it already looks like he and DeAndre Hopkins are on the same page. They connected 14 times for 150 yards, which, you know, happened to help me win my fantasy matchup. So I'd like to thank them for that. Congratulations. Thank you. I like to go to the Cardinals there. I like it. Yeah, they're going to play a lot of fireworks shows this season. I, I love the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray. 
like we talked about this a lot of times on the show, like when we're building a quarterback nowadays, we don't want a statue. We need a guy that can run around kind of like Lamar, but you know, Kyler's kind of a diet version of that. Um, but I love Kyler Murray. He's really showed his accuracy and really showed his mobility. So coming up next, we're going to call this the good noodle award. This is going to any coach player, anyone in the NFL who had a good week, good seat, good game, good day. Let's start with the good noodle award. Jason. My good noodle award for week one. I thought about going Tannehill considering my expectations for him uh, going into Denver, having to overcome Gostowski missing three field goals. Um, Lord, that's a difficult yeah. place to play, but I'm going to go with Cam Newton um, because we were texting about it during the game. And I had a lot of questions of, about how Cam Newton would fit within this offense. I had questions about would he, you know, revert back to, MVP level came and that's a cliche question that I hate asking but it was a question that was there and I Josh McDaniels game plan for it they got back to what cam was he was a physical guy that frankly I think they were rather predict uh, predictable with rushing it uh, versus passing it I'd like to see that against you know a veteran team like a Seattle or a 49ers or a veteran coaching staff like that that can game plan for it uh, but Miami couldn't stop it and and I was thoroughly impressed with Cam Newton this past weekend I'm a good noodle! I'm a good noodle! All right, Ben. I'm going to go with Ben Roethlisberger on this one. Uh, you know, hadn't played in a year. I was kind of concerned, is he going to be rusty? You know, first live reps for, for him in, you know, a year. I mean, much, much longer than anyone else, really. So I was a little worried about how he's, he's going to look. But against the Giants in New York, he looked pretty good. I mean, he had an impressive game through the air, a couple of touchdown passes, uh, no picks. He looked really good. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster was his favorite target, and I think he's going to be seeing a lot of uh, action with Juju. But, you know, I was very impressed with, you know, uh, Ben's decision-making. You know, he did – he was throwing off his back foot a little bit. Sometimes that was just when the rush was coming. I think he was, you know, kind of gun-shy just because of that injury. But – Overall, I think he, he showed up pretty pretty nicely in that game against the Giants. And, you know, I'm expecting big things from this Steelers team. I think, I think they make the playoffs. I do. This, this, this Steelers team, especially with that defense, they're looking pretty good. But I got to give it to Big Ben. He showed up. That's right. Get on the bandwagon with the Steelers. <laughs> I'm a good noodle. I'm a good noodle. My good noodle of the week is Washington head coach Ron Rivera. While battling cancer, Ron Rivera has been fearless, absolutely fearless in guiding Washington through maybe the worst offseason any NFL franchise has ever endured. And, and it looked like that was sort of going to be the case in the first half against Philadelphia. But, you know, they're down by 10 heading into halftime. And during that, Ron Rivera receives an IV, which was kind of like giving Popeye some spinach. I don't know, because in the second half, oh that defense pitched a shutout. They forced Carson Wentz into throwing two back-breaking interceptions. That comeback is not something that would have happened in Washington a year ago. Ron Rivera has been in D.C. for, what, maybe five months? And it already looks like they're an entirely new organization under him. And I, I might be the biggest Ron Rivera fan outside of D.C. right now. I cannot help but root for this guy and that team. Yeah, I'm not mad at that at all. No, I like that pick. Shout out to the the Washington football team too. They're they're number one in the division right now, so that's right. Looks pretty good. Good for them. I don't know how long it lasts, but I hey. I will be I will be cheering them on. I will definitely be cheering them on. I want nothing but success for Ron Rivera. I'm with at you least on for that. Ron Rivera. I'm not sure about Dan Snyder, but 
Now let's move on to the Dumpster Fire of the Week Award. The team, player, coach, whoever you think was the worst during uh, week one. So, Jason, Dumpster Fire of the Week Award goes to? I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch this game. I didn't even watch highlights. I just – if this game was being played in my backyard, I was going to close the blinds, all right? <laughs> the Colts against the Jags. Oh, uh, here we go. My, my Colts. See, this is such a weird week for me because, like, I'm praising the Steelers, I'm praising Cam Newton, and I'm shaming my Colts. This is, this is not a good show for me. Um, Phillip Rivers, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> the spread was seven in, in the Colts' favors, and then the Jaguars go ahead and spoil that. Um, but, yeah, this was an automatic W written all over it. We had questions last week in the extravaganza. Andrew and I couldn't even come up with qu- interesting questions about the Jaguars. We, we were questioning whether they should stay in Jacksonville. <laughs> this and then they go true. ahead and spoil my Colts debut with Phillip Rivers. Absolutely, dis- absolutely shameful. Um, Marlon Mack got hurt, and then Jonathan Taylor comes in and averages 2.5 yards attempt. Nightmare start for my Colts. I'm staying with my prediction, though. They're going to win the division, but terrible weekend for me. I don't Oof. even want to talk about it. I don't know about that one. So my dumpster fire of the week award, I'm giving that just to the Detroit Lions, the entire team. They're up by 17 heading into the fourth quarter against the Bears, and it only let up two field goals up until that point. And then the fourth quarter, they let Mitch Trubisky charge down the field and give up 21 unanswered points. How do you let that happen? He just went off in the fourth quarter. How do you let Mitch Trubisky lead a 21-point comeback? How? I don't get that. They had a chance, though. The Lions had, gave themselves a chance down by fours under a minute left. Matt Stafford makes a couple of great throws to put Detroit in scoring position in the red zone on a play from the Chicago 16-yard line. Stafford finds rookie running back DeAndre Swift wide open in the end zone. But the guy dropped what would have been the game-winning pass. He was wide open. The Lions choked that away. Disgusting. And if I had to blame anyone for that loss, I'm blowing Matt Patricia, who looks just to be the most incompetent head coach in all the NFL right now. He's yeah. 9-22-1 in his coaching career in Detroit. How has he not been fired yet? I know it's only been, what, one season, but two Is that seasons? bad? Oh, I don't know. But if anyone's career has been wasted, I think you put Matt Stafford at the top of the list. He's gone through how many head coaches at this point? He's been to yeah. the playoffs, what, two times? I just... Uh, I feel I feel bad for that man, and that was a terrible choke job by the Lions. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, you let Mitch Trubisky throw three touchdowns and lead a twenty-one point comeback. I'm more surprised that the Lions were even leading by seventeen in that. I like I don't give them the dumpster fire because they were leading by seventeen. Like that's an accomplishment within itself. No, but you then know? you give up, you gave up twenty-one <laughs> points to Mitch Trubisky. I know yeah. unanswered yeah, in the fourth quarter. <laughs> How? Yeah, he was looking like Mitch Elway out there. Ben, how about you? Who's your dumpster fire of the week? So I'm going to go with another team that blew a big lead, the Philadelphia Eagles. They were playing the Washington football team, and we were just talking about the Washington football team. Impressive win, definitely. But, man, this is – all right, Jason, you and I picked the, the Eagles to win this division, did we not? Oh, I did. Yeah, and I still contend. 
I'm with, yeah. I'm with it. I am I am a little ambivalent towards them right now because they were not looking too good. Listen, you're up 17 points against the Washington football team, which shouldn't have won that game. I'm sorry. They just like Andrew said, big Ron Rivera fan. I love that they came back in this game. I love that, but they should not have done that. I mean, just everything that the the Eagles have on paper, they should have been able to to handle this football team. But no. Carson Wentz, man, those two interceptions were just eight uh, sacks. Though. Eight sacks. Eight sacks. Yeah. That, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Because did Carson Wentz like not buy them dinner? Did Carson Wentz like sleep with their wives or something? Why were they just letting him get sacked? They were watching him get sacked. They were just getting blown by every play. I was like, oh my god! And then no wonder, no wonder he's injured every year. He's getting slammed every other play. It's a really banged up offensive line. Remember, they lost Brandon Brooks, who's out with yeah. Achilles tear. Jason Peters, they brought back a left tackle, but he's not what he what he, what he once was. Yeah. yeah, you're. I don't. Know, I'm not. I'm not sure if I entirely blame that loss on Carson Wentz. I just say. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I'm blaming it on the O line was garbage. I mean. It's hard to defend those two picks that Carson Wentz threw, but yeah, and Washington just wanted it more. Washington just wanted it more, and I I did not expect Washington to win this game. I thought the Eagles would handle them easily, and they were looking like it until the second half, and then it was just it, the wheels started falling off. So I got to give it to the Eagles for the dumpster fire. That was just a abysmal abysmal performance. I know. I looked at I look at that game as more of a Washington win than a Philadelphia loss because I think yeah, that's fair. Just the comeback they came they came with, uh, and you know, quietly, Washington has one of the best front sevens in the NFL. Ryan True. Kerrigan and Chase Young on the outside rushing the passer. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, two uh, really good young defensive linemen. I, I, you know, their secondary leaves a little bit to be desired. They do have a what's his name, the safety, the Landon, Landon, Collins. Col- Landon, Collins, Landon Collins. Yes. Landon Collins is still, oh, yeah. I would say, top 10 safety in the NFL. They, they, Washington quietly has one of the best defenses in the league. And I think, especially led by Ron Rivera, who's a defensive head coach, you'll, some, you'll see some, uh, some stuff from them this year. Coming up next, we'll get into what's probably the two most anticipated de- debuts for all season. Uh, Tom Brady debuts with the Bucks. Cam Newton debuts with the Patriots. We'll give you our thoughts next on, here on the final call. Here on the final call, this segment of the final call is brought to you by New England Sports United.com. New England Sports United.com, written by the one and only Jason Snow, written for New England. Great publication. Go check it out. Amazing. Fantastic. Best writing out there. So, guys, how, just before we get into the real questions, how weird was it to see Tom Brady in a uniform other than a New England Patriots uniform? Because it was. For me personally, it was hard to. It was. It took a. It was an adjustment period. For the, maybe the first half, it was weird. I'd say. That's teed up for you, Ben. That, that's all you. Crank that one. Sunday was an emotional day for me. <laughs> Listen, I will admit, seeing him in the jersey was a little nauseating at first, but it does kind of look good. Ooh. Not as good. Not as good as red, white, and blue. For the Patriots, but I mean, you know, the the red with like the gold captain logo looked pretty fresh. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, his play didn't look too good. We'll get That's into that. Right. Brady struggled <laughs> in his Bucks debut while Cam Newton carried the Patriots' offense. 
Is this what we can expect from them going forward, Ben? Patriots or Bucks? Both. I'll start with the Patriots. Um, I think this is something we're going to be seeing a lot from the Patriots. They, it's all running all the time. I mean, this is a team that we kind of predicted this. Cam Newton's not that statuesque pocket guy. He's going to be running the ball a lot, and we saw that. 75 yards on 15 rushes. You know, he was two touchdowns. He was running. Uh, and when he was throwing the ball, like, he was efficient, in my opinion. I mean, he was he was throwing the ball pretty well, five, 15 and 19 for 155 yards. So he was he was accurate when he needed to be. And in Jason's article that he wrote, great, great publication, New England Sports United, um, he said he was impressed with, you know, his consistency and his ability to make decisions. And I just really like, you know, the whole game plan that Belichick is kind of building around Cam Newton, right? I mean, the time of possession was completely mismatched. It was 36 minutes for New England and 23 minutes for Miami. So anytime you win the field position battle like that, they're going to win games. So as long as they can control the ball and keep the clock moving, this Patriots team is going to look good. I still have them winning the division, and I think you guys are way too high on this Miami team. I'm sorry. I know it was Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. That's, that, that was all Jason. Jason. All right. Jason, How is six and no. ten too high? How is six and ten too Jason, high? You have the Patriots no. at five and eleven. Yeah, I'm still. I, I need to see this against a veteran team. Oh man, I agree there, I, Ben. What do you think of the Bucks? I was not impressed. I didn't even bother to. I was trying to find how many penalties they had. I didn't even bother. I just want to round it to like eighty-seven penalties. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Every other snap was a penalty. Both sides of the ball, offense, defense. The offensive line was out of sync. The defense kept jumping on on the hard counts. What are we doing? Listen, let's just let's just say this. Bruce Arians is not Bill Belichick. Okay, so I'm not expecting like you know rocket science but you literally need to be so undisciplined to have that many penalties in a game they had the most penalties as a team last season they did not improve at all this season so far and it was just that was just hard to watch and let's just get to the elephant in the room right now tom brady he threw a couple of pretty errant throws that pick six was oh man that that was that was a pass where i was like man that was behind him he was trying to find Scotty Miller on the out route, and he threw it behind him. Janoris Jenkins just walked it into the end zone. And Bruce Arians said after the game, you know, he looked like Tom Brady in practice, but it's weird to see him doing that in a game because they were doing things that we prepared for. And yet Brady was still making these mistakes. So I don't know if Brady just had the rust. I don't know if he just was out of sync with his receivers. I don't know the new system. I don't know, but overall, I just wasn't impressed. I hope they, I hope they figure it out. But yeah, I wasn't impressed with the Bucks at all. Well, from the Patriots' perspective, I talked about this, like you said, Ben. Cam was poised, composed, efficient when he needed to be, and inaccurate um, at some points. I do want to see it against a veteran defense. I've said that three times this show already. Um, <laughs> but. I don't know if it's week. I don't know if it's the week one fever, or we just haven't had uh, football in so long that I'm just exaggerating, just out of the box. But I just got to thinking, like Cam's early thirties, could they win like this? Could Belichick win like this? But like, do they need to draft a quarterback necessarily? Could they win like this? Could Cam be the guy for three for three four years? Hold on till Belichick, you know, calls it a day. I don't know the answer to that question. 
I hope we get that answer throughout the regular season, but that's just a question that popped into my mind. In terms of Tampa Bay, impressed with their defense. Andrew, you'll be impressed. Sean Murphy bunting was a yeah, great corner for, for I, the We block. learned someone's name. Yes, we did. We know someone. I should get his jersey. He was great. I, he was great at uh, drawing flags, though. <laughs> but it, for, and, and Devin White was all over the field. He, he's a captain for a reason. He's a he's a star. But the penalties were a problem. That's a Tampa Bay problem. Uh, even before Tom got there, so it'll yeah. take some time to, to iron it out. But for Brady, this I'm not going to say like I'm a wizard or anything. But I kind of expected them to go into New Orleans and lose this one. I didn't think it was going to be as ugly and as out of sync as it was, but I thought they were going to lose. One of the, one of the picks that Tom Brady threw uh, was intended for Mike Evans, and Mike Evans just stopped running the route. I don't know if that's a playbook issue. I don't know if that's a chemistry issue. Maybe it's just they're just getting to know each other. But that's not going to happen every game. The, the Janoris Jenkins one, that was ugly because that does, yeah. that's not a Brady play right there. That, he never throws across the field. That's, that's just a weird one. Um, but I did notice... We love these Tampa Bay receivers, and that's mainly the reason why he went there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they have a lot of deep threats. Do they have like a check down guy that Brady loves? That's what, I think that's what Scotty Miller is. Yeah. but Maybe, but... He was going to him a lot. He was. But like, did you really have a guy that like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are like 70 yards down the field? Like, Do you have a guy like to just huddle around? Like, Maybe O.J. OJ Howard's the guy. I don't know. I just, yeah. They just need another layer to that offense where Tom Brady's comfortable and he can bang. Like, Scotty Miller's not a guy that Tom Brady goes, I'm, I'm faithful in. I'm, from the get-go, I'm, that's the reason why I'm comfortable here. Right. I've yet to see it yet, but they need that, I think. Yeah, I, there are definitely some questions surrounding uh, the Tampa Bay offense, uh, but I don't think it's time to get really too high or too low on either the Patriots or Tampa Bay yet. Like you said, Jason, I want to see how New England looks against a team that didn't have a top five draft pick last season. So that's where I'm at. But as for how the team looked, how the Patriots looked, we can't need a quarterback. It was pretty much what I expected to be. Josh McDaniels called plays that utilized Cam's strengths. Uh, a lot of read option, a lot of RPOs, and designed quarterback keepers to get Cam in space to use his legs. And overall, the Patriots ran the ball 42 times and only had Cam drop back to pass 19 times. So this is absolutely... 110% of running football team. Yeah. I think overall, Cam Newton looked healthy. Uh, he showed he's still the athlete he was prior to the injuries. And even though he didn't really, he didn't really make a ton of throws that made me go, wow, that was a great throw. I mean, they were all, the Patriots receivers were pretty much open. Miami didn't do a great job of covering his, but regardless of that, his arm looked good too. Uh, you know, it was, his passes looked strong. They were accurate. I'm waiting to see how they look against a better team. They play Seattle this week on the road on Sunday night. And that's going to be a very physical game. And I don't expect Cam to be able to run as much with uh, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams out there uh, headhunting. So I expect this to be way more of a passing attack from the wing against Seattle. Not to get off topic, but you're really high on Seattle. Like what's the, who are you taking in that game? And like, is it a blowout? Does New England stay in it? Like, It'll be a tough-fought game, close, physical. Um, but if I have to pick, I'm going with Seattle. I think their defense I, – I, I mean, first of all, DK Metcalf looked like you know a, a stud against Atlanta. Russell Wilson's yeah. an MVP candidate. It'll, it's not going to be a blowout, but I don't think the Patriots will have as easy as a time running the ball as they did against Miami against them. Mm-hmm. But I want to get back to – which I don't remember which one of you mentioned this, but one of you guys said that the main reason – uh, Tom Brady went to Tampa was because of the receivers. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I think the main reason he went to Tampa Bay was because Bruce Arians. 
I think that Tom Brady left New England because he was sick and tired of the criticism from Bill Belichick. And, you know, he kind of went somewhere where the head coach was the antithesis of that. Happy, fun-loving, laid-back Bruce Arians. However, after the game, Bruce Arians was kind of critical of Tom Brady with those two picks. So I want to get your guys' take. But first, here's what Bruce Arians said about Tom Brady. Uh, one was a miscommunication between he and Mike, and uh, he thought Mike was going down the middle. It's a different coverage. Mike read it right, and uh, he should have should have bent across his face. But Tom just overthrew it. And the other one was a uh, it was a screen pass with an outlet called, and he threw the outlet, and it was a pick six. Bad decision. So that's what Bruce Arians said in regards to the two interceptions from Brady. Uh, Jason, what are your reactions from that? What do you think? I like that he's holding him accountable, but. Uh... I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's just weird because, like, Tampa Bay should be lucky to have Tom Brady there because if they didn't, they'd be stuck with Jameis Winston. Yeah. And, and that's just not a good place to be. Like, Bruce Arians' last three years, 7-9, 8-8, 7-9. Like, I don't think Brady went down there to be a 500. He didn't go down there for a 500 coach. And, and, I, know, and I know Arians had accomplished more before that, but I don't know. Just give it time. Just give it time. Don't, don't let – Brady regret his decision one week into the season. That's that's just, you know what I mean? Yeah, and to kind of piggyback off of that, other than those two picks, those are pretty bad decisions. There was also a, f- a throw that, you know, Brady went to throw uh, an out route and he threw it way over his head. You know, there was like a little bit of that, but overall there was some deep balls where they were either caught or drew a pass interference where they were deadly accurate. And these are throws way down the field. He also had two touchdown passes. He he threw for he had he was twenty three of thirty six for two thirty nine. So it's like not that's like a pretty good game. And like he's still Tom Brady. And I'm sorry, but at some point it's it's a coach problem because the the team getting eighty seven or ninety penalties, whatever it was, is not on Tom Brady. That's a Bruce Arians problem. And I think you're right, Jason. They would definitely be in a better place right now with Tom Brady than if they still had James Winston. And I don't think that's that's debatable. Like everyone, everyone's saying, "Oh, you know, it, they didn't upgrade from James Winston." Can we relax, please? Can we chill out? It's it's Tom Brady we're talking about. He's gonna figure it out eventually. They ran into the Superdome and ran into that that wicked talented. Saints team. I mean, that team is, you know, we all, we're all very high on them except for Jason because of Jason's <laughs> I'm just tired history. Of them. I'm tired I know, of them. I know, but they're, they're talented, man. And they're, they are. they're, they're tough. So it was a tough week one matchup, but you know, I'm not going to put it all on Brady, but there were, there were a couple of uh, bad, bad decisions for sure. No, I'm not blaming Brady entirely at all either. I mean, those two bad passes, two, two bad picks were his fault. Uh, I think he just overthrew uh, Mike Evans and just a bad throw to the sideline for that pick six. But as for the criticism for from Arians, you know, I really do think part of the reason Brady ended up in a place like Tampa Bay and didn't go sign somewhere a little bit more, I don't know, classy is the word I'll use, somewhere that's experiencing more success, somewhere that's, somewhere that's not the armpit of America, uh, is because Bruce Arians is the head coach, and he didn't think that Bruce Arians would criticize him too much. Like, what were we hearing from Brady, or not maybe from Brady directly, but were all the rumors about Brady in his last couple of years here in New England? Him and Belichick were at odds because Belichick wasn't giving enough credit, wasn't you know giving the contract he wanted, and now he's sort of receiving that sort of criticism criticism publicly. 
And now, honestly, that's not even something that Belichick would even do. He wouldn't do it publicly. He'd do it. He'd like he'd tear you a new one. No, he'd tear you a new one in front of the in front of the uh, in front of your teammates. But he wouldn't like go out into the media and say, "Tom, that's Tom's fault. Tom needs to be better." He'd just be like, he'd just say, "We need to be better." He wouldn't that's do fair. that. He yeah. wouldn't do it publicly like that. So I want to know. I want to know how Brady reacts to that. Maybe he's sort of feeling like, "Oh, maybe this wasn't a great decision. Maybe this isn't the place for me." And I, I think we sh- no one should be saying that yet. But those are some seeds for a story there that you know we should be looking into. I, you know, Brady was always been characterized as the guy who reacts well to criticism and plays with a chip on his shoulder. Let's see what he, let's see how he comes back next week. I want I want to sort of see what his response is against Carolina, and they should win that game at home. Uh, I want I just want to see you know how does Brady respond to sort of I think he kind of got a reality check, but that's what his thoughts were from his from his new head coach. What did you guys think that Belichick was doing while watching Brady? Ben? What was, Be- what was Belichick thinking or doing while he, uh, while he was watching Tom Brady's debut for the Tampa Bay Bucks? Uh, good riddance. He was, he was sitting there eating his Subway sandwich, and he was just enjoying the game. He was like, good, I have my quarterback. That's what he was saying. He's like, good. He was probably watching it with, with all uh, eight – Super Bowl rings on his fingers, sipping his uh, orange juice, eating a Subway sandwich, and he was like, I'm enjoying this. This is good. This is good stuff right here. Jason, what, what was Belichick doing? I think eating a Subway sandwich is, is kind of an understatement. I would say devouring a Subway sandwich. <laughs> um, absolutely inhaling it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but in terms of Belichick's approach, I would say – his approach is probably realistically, I'm glad we don't have to go to, down to New Orleans to open up our season. And we got to stay home against Miami. <laughs> that, should, yeah. that, that should be his approach. Uh, in regards to like how he's approaching Tom Brady play in his, in his season opener, I would say we never had, never had a division quite like that. I don't know. I think Bill was locked away in his office. Lights off. A couple scented candles. Some music. Maybe some, a light jazz playing in the background. <laughs> some sage. Champagne on ice. <laughs> Hit the... Biggest grin on his face, and every time Brady missed a receiver, or was yelling at someone, or just looked unhappy, he would just think to himself, and whisper under his breath, "Maybe receiver talent wasn't the problem last year." And that's all I'll say. That's what I think Belichick was secretly doing. But that's all the time we have for that segment. Coming up next, we'll get into a couple big games in the NBA uh, tonight. Game seven: Clippers Nuggets, Eastern Conference Finals. Game one, Heat Celtics. We'll give you our thoughts next year on the final call. Back here on the final call on Radio at Massasoit. This segment of the final call is presented by the scoreboardtimes.com. Scoreboardtimes.com. Show your passion while you're here. It's a great publication, too. Another great one. Thank you very much, Ben. That means a lot. I'd agree. I'd agree. Thanks, guys. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals kicks off tonight between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Jason, what are the keys to winning the series for both the Heat and the Celtics? For the Celtics, it's none other than, and we harped on this, being so close to Boston. Boston, near and dear to all of our hearts. Marcus Smart three-point shooting. Can that continue? <laughs> Can that nope. continue? Nope. You saved the Celtics in a few games against the Raptors. Added on to his defense passion and, you know, everything else he brings to the table. But he's lit it up against Toronto. And, and 
kind of saved them in some of those games. So if, if he can maintain that, you know, well-oiled, well-oiled machine from three-point land, uh, that'd be a plus. And for Miami, it's just going to be Bam Adebayo versus Daniel Tice, I think. You know, who can dom- – like, they're both – calling them undersized centers at, like, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that might be a stretch. But I don't know. I'd take a look at that matchup. So I have a couple keys for the Celtics. From the first one – Ball security. Part of the reason that series went uh, against Toronto won seven games because the Celtics struggled with turning the ball over. In seven games, they turned the ball over 103 times. And half of those came from Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart alone. Miami is, gonna cont- is going to constantly pressure the ball hander and force them to make quick decisions. The Celtics need to be smart and- with the ball, and they can't give the Heat any extra possessions. The other one for the Celtics, they got to hit their threes. During the regular season, the Celtics shot 36% uh, from beyond the arc. That was good enough to be 12th best in the league. Against Toronto, they shot 33%. Now, that's not a huge drop-off, but if they shot like that during the regular season, they would have ranked 29th. They would have been down at the bottom with the, with the Hawks, the Knicks in terms of three-point shooting. You can't do that against a Heat team who's not only one of the best defending the three, but they're one of the best at shooting the three themselves. Uh, and the three, you know, the Celtics are one of the best at defending the three, but they haven't had the drop-off. The Heat haven't had the drop-off that the Celtics had offensively. So that's one of my, key, my keys for Boston. Ball security, hit your threes. For Miami, just be relentless. Uh, the Heat were able to dominate Milwaukee because of, from the opening tip, each game they just slowed down Milwaukee. They constantly pressured the ball, fought for every rebound. They didn't let up until the final whistle. The Celtics are tired. They just went through a grueling seven-game series that they barely escaped. Meanwhile, Miami's rested. And they almost never broke a sweat against the Bucks. They have to play fast. They have to play physical. They can't take their foot off the gas. Yeah, I like both of your points, Jason. I'm definitely looking at Marcus Smart, but I'll I'll raise you a Kemba Walker because Kemba Walker, you know, when Marcus Smart was hitting those threes, it was primarily because Kemba Walker wasn't. And we keep saying, oh, when is Kemba Walker going to pop? When is Kemba Walker going to you know start making his shots? But so far, he hasn't. And, you know, these are only going to get more competitive as we keep going, these games. So, you know, all, all our guys are going to need to be firing on all cylinders. And isn't Gordon Hayward comes back? Am I right in saying that? He's been ruled out for game one at least. Okay, so but he'll be back this series. At the soonest, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I think, you know, they'll need him for sure. And, you know, Marcus Smart, we like to get on his three-point shooting, and he's been really hot. I will say he's been really hot, but it always ends at some point. It always ends at some point, and it's just I really hope it's not against this Miami team because, again, Andrew, you said it. Their key to this series is they need to capitalize on the Celtics' fatigue because, like you said, they came from a seven-game series against a very talented Toronto team that, frankly, was – about as even as they were. I mean, it was they they had to get everything out of the Celtics to win that series. So Miami is going to need to capitalize on that. Their shooters need to be going. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, they need to be going from deep. And, of course, Jimmy Butler needs to be doing his thing. So as long as all that happens, Miami will be fine. But the Celtics, man, they just need to keep doing what they're doing. Marcus Smart cannot stop. And Marcus Smart is so good at doing everything 
passing, defense, you know, block. We saw that amazing block uh, to close out game seven. Steals. He can do everything. It's just the shooting is the one thing we get on him for. And I just really, really, really want him to just continue this streak. But I just hope it doesn't end this series because eventually it ends at some point. Yeah, maybe I, I see your point. And is there like an end to this waterfall of Marcus Smart three-point shooting? Probably. Um, but I'm going to hold – like that's a key for them. That, like the ceiling – the ceiling for the Celtics is when Kemba is dropping like 15 to 20, Jason Tatum averaging like 28, Jalen Brown's putting in 24, Marcus Smart's putting up – at the ceiling is probably 19, and four of them are threes. Like that's the absolute ceiling for them. I hope, you know, the well doesn't end here. Um, but you're right. All, all trends eventually hit their end. But I'm going to hold on and say Marcus Smart goes for – let me see. Game one's tonight. We might be able to tweet it out as it's happening. He's going to hit four, four more threes today. And, and I hope his, you're percentage, right, his, his percentage is going to be over 35%. Are they going to come all in one sort of like hot stretch in, like in the middle of the game? Or are they going to be th- or is he going to be consistent all, all night? See, that's a double-edged sword for me because saying it's going to come all at once is kind of a tough bet. But saying Marcus Smart's going to be consistent is also a very difficult bet. So I'm going to say... I think it's gonna. He's gonna be consistent. He'll hit like two in the first half, two in the second half, and one of them's gonna be really important to sparking a run. That's what we'll tweet it out as it happens tonight. Andrew, I know you're watching on tape delay tonight because you have work and stuff. So we, you know, we'll try not to spoil it for you. I appreciate that, Ben. And uh, a few years ago, when Boston played the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals with LeBron, Game Seven. That whole series was one of those scenarios where Marcus Smart was just going off, right? He was shooting threes, lights out, and then Game Seven came around, and he was like two of nine. You know what I mean? But that's, that's okay because Marcus Smart made a couple of great defensive plays. Like that's the thing: the Celtics that, yeah, don't need know, Marcus but... Smart to be a lights out shooter. He's the pest. He's the sandpaper of that Celtics team. I don't want Marcus Smart being the go-to scorer. That's why they have Brown and Tatum and Walker. They I'm don't not need Marcus. Be, I'm not saying he should be right. the go-to scorer. He just needs to be shooting threes consistently. If he's gonna but no, he really threes, doesn't, though. If, if, if he makes his threes, great. If he doesn't, he needs to know when to, when to stop and give the ball to someone else. He doesn't know when to stop. That's his I, I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I, I know I get a Marcus Smart for his three-point shooting because, Ben, I've been just as critical. But what, even when he, he's not hitting his threes, he, he's still adding to the game, and he's still contributing with his defense, his hustle. There's no one on the Celtics team who competes better than Marcus Smart. I agree. His shooting, like his shooting's a key for me if they want to win this series. But it's like to his overall game, it's like the icing on the cake. Like you can have good cake without icing, mm-hmm. but when it has good icing, man, there is mm-hmm. nothing better than that. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> All right. So who wins this series? How long does it go, Ben? Ooh, it's going seven. It's going seven. And if I had to pick. Maybe I'm maybe I'm biased, but I gotta go with the Celtics. I just like the Celtics from top to bottom. I you know, Jason Tatum is a star. Jalen Brown is the perfect Robin to his Batman. Is that fair to say? No, it's not a Batman and Robin type of thing. I wouldn't say I don't, that. Know, I, I don't think Jalen Brown's a sidekick. If he's not a sidekick, they're a one two punch. There it is. Fine. That's so, better. Yeah, I mean 
I just think it's more Tatum's team than Brown's. That's why I said that. But either way, they have Tatum, Brown, Kemba. Hayward's going to be coming back. Marcus Smart, we just talked about him. I just like the Celtics top to bottom. I mean, the Heat does scare me a little bit with their depth. And, you know, Bam Adebayo is probably going to take Daniel Tice to school. And I don't really know what kind of answers Daniel Tice is going to have for him. But I don't know. I think going down the stretch, the Celtics team is ready to win right now. They are. And I think I think the Celtics would take it in seven. But it's going to be close. It's going to be a hard-fought series for sure. Yeah, I'm going to take Celtics in seven, too. Um, I think Tatum is going to be the best player in this series. I am, and I the reason why I was thinking about six, but then I was like, you know, Miami's going to really put a thorn in the Celtics side here because Miami is all about defense and shooting threes, and mainly about shooting threes. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, you named the names earlier, Ben. Daniel Tice, Toronto got really good looks on threes. They just weren't able to hit them coming off of pick and rolls, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, they just couldn't hit him. Yeah. And Daniel Tice really struggled guarding the three-point line on pick and rolls. So watch that tonight. Miami doesn't do so many like screen and rolls from the top of the key. They do more like off-ball screens. So if they put Dan, I know this is really technical, but if you put Daniel Tice on an island and say, okay, Duncan Robinson's going to run around the screen, Tice, Tice go contest, he's not going to be able to keep up. So watch, that, watch for that um, throughout the series. I think that'll be a major key. Um, but Celtics in seven, I think I am concerned about their depth. Miami is a lot deeper team than the, than the Celtics. Yeah. Um, but the Celtics are a lot more top heavy. So I'll, I'll take the Celtics in seven. I'm, I had a pick prior to the segment, but I don't know. I'm kind of rethinking at this point. I I originally had Celtics in six. Did we convince you? I'm going to go Miami seven. No, I knew it. I'm sorry. Like I wanted to pick the Celtics, but thinking about it. it. Why? Why? Tell us why. Uh, to tell you why? Please. Uh, they're going to do a, a whole in, uh, – was it Backstreet Boys with me? Stop it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> tell me why. Ain't yeah, Jason. But a hey, the audience doesn't know this, but I don't. I know like three songs that have ever been made. So a, if that's, that's one a, of them, that's an accomplishment. Hey, that's a great song, amazing song. Everyone knows I can sing. There's plenty of footage on that. So <laughs> better, da- better dancer, in my opinion. Fantastic dancer, Ben. Your, ben, your hips do not lie. Thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna take Miami here in seven, and I'm really. I mean, it could go either way, but if I had to pick, Boston is exhausted. They really are. Tough seven-game series. They turned the ball over 103 times. And Toronto just couldn't capitalize. I have to imagine Miami will be better. Miami's proved they're not afraid of talent either. They go up against maybe, again, an MVP candidate, Giannis Antetokounmpo, shut him down. Miami fears no one. They're playing without fear. I I really want to pick the Celtics. But if they play like they did at all against Toronto, they're not it's gonna it won't look as good. They barely escaped that Toronto series. I just think Miami is gonna be better at capitalizing on those chances than Toronto was. But we could also make the same I killer I know, right here. I we know like about Denver. We could say that like seven game series, they they will get like out in five oh. against the Clippers. That's not where I thought you were going. But yeah, so let's move on. Let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit to Denver, LA, game seven of the night. Jason, as a writer, as a journalist, the great writer, journalist that you are. Of course. 
What's the headline tomorrow morning following tonight's Game 7? Hmm. I know, I know where both of you are leaning. So I'm going to go the other way, just, just to be fun. The headline tomorrow morning in the, in the LA Times is going to be, don't sleepwalk. <laughs> because the Clippers have sleptwalked not only through the regular season, not only through three games this series, that like the LA was on top of this series. They were like up 20 plus in, was it game five or six? Probably both at some game point. Game five. They were up by 20 in game five. No, they were, up they, by, they were up by 20 in game six. Yeah, yeah. I think and, both. And they let it slip away. So they should have closed them out in five. They didn't. They, they procrast- it, it reminded me of me last semester, Sunday night at like 10.30. <laughs> I had three essays to write. Just couldn't close it out. Couldn't close it out. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, not to be long-winded, but I think the NBA is like, they want the battle. This is a win-win situation for the, the NBA. They want the LA battle in the conference finals, obviously. Great PR, great matchup. One for the ages. But if the Nuggets upset the Clippers tonight, it could be, hey, Got to take this regular season thing seriously. Denver did. They, they, they were ready. Clippers weren't. That's the headline. Don't sleepwalk. So my headline, Clippers escape with tight victory, move on for the Battle of L.A. The Nuggets, they've proved a lot over the course of these playoffs. They like being the underdog. They've shifted to another gear since being down 3-1 after losing game four. Jamal Murray, he's emerged as an elite scorer in the NBA, and I I think that's a fair uh, assessment of him. Nikola Jokic, one of the most versatile big men there is, but I have to take the Clippers here. It'll be – I just – they rest their starters throughout the regular season. They got Kawhi, championship pedigree right there, Paul George. uh, Doc Rivers has has a championship under his belt. I just – it's the ball is in their court now. All the pressure's on them. I'll admit, Denver has nothing to lose now. But I think my not Miami. I think the Clippers know they have to win this game, or it's this season. I mean, this is like borderline Warriors blew a three-one lead. I don't that, know. Oh, I don't know. Well, I think it might be worse. Oh, okay. That's so fair. All right. Elaborate. Elaborate, Ben. Go ahead. So. Brian Windhorst recently said that if the the NBA or if the Clippers lose this series, it would be one of the most historic disappointments in the history of the league. And I, I got to agree with him on that because this is a team that was branded as we are the team of L.A. You know, Kawhi didn't go to the, the Lakers in free agency. He went to the Clippers. He wanted to make them a contender. He brought along Paul George with him. Jerry West in the front office making all these moves. They have the sixth man of the year in Montrez Harrell, former sixth man of the year, Lou Williams. They have a stacked team. This is a team that should have beaten them in five. They were up 3-1. They didn't do it. They should have beaten them in six. They didn't do it. Game seven, Nikola Jokic said it best. We have no pressure. All the pressure is on them. And I think right now, if there's a, if there's a headline for tomorrow morning, Golden Nuggets. That's, that's the headline. I think I, – I don't know, man. Something's not sitting right with me with this, with this Clippers team right now. And I, I, think the, I think the Nuggets upset them. And I yeah. think it's, it's going to be close, but – Momentum is a powerful thing. Momentum is a powerful thing. And Game 7, anything can happen. Jamal Murray has been playing out of his mind. 
you know, and you can't sleep on Jokic either. So I don't know. I like, I like the Clippers, but I think right now all the momentum is on the Nuggets side. And I, I see this. Part of the reason why I see the Nuggets winning tonight too is in the grand scheme of things, when LeBron wins his fourth ring this year, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over my skis on this one, but just hear me out. They're going to all the haters of LeBron, Ben Mamoritas included, are going to say, are going to say, he faced the Portland Trailblazers when they weren't the same thing as they were the year before. They faced a washed-up Westbrook who lost like three of the games for Houston. And then they don't even face the Clippers. He dodges every challenge. He faces the Nuggets. I'm, that I'm not there. Skip Bayless. And then if the Heat beat the Celtics and they meet up in the finals, they're going to be like, oh, the Heat have two undrafted players in their starting lineup. And LeBron barely escaped. The fourth ring doesn't count. It's a half ring. I see it happening right now. This I'm is not. not <laughs> I, it's going to unfold perfectly. <laughs> I am not Skip Bayless. That's right. Ben's not the one making that claim. I'm going to make that claim. Oh, I will. And your fancy show, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. No, hold on. You know why? Let's bet. No, 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 no. You know why? You know why? Thanks for interrupting me. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, you, you just had your moment. Let me, let me have mine. Go but ahead. That, that's what happens. <laughs> that you, you go through the Blazers, and I thought the Blazers were going to take the Lakers to task. I, thought the, I had the Blazers. I had the Lakers winning that series in seven. The Lakers then just rolled through. Uh, why am I blank? The Rockets. Ben, sorry. And now, if Denver emerges tonight, if Denver comes out with a victory, LA is the favorite to win the title. By far. By far, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that they can't. They absolutely should. Especially, and I don't think it matters if they face the Celtics or the Heat. Because the Lakers, with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, being the number two seed after having Milwaukee knocked out, the Lakers kind of remind me a lot of last year's Boston Bruins. A good road, everything sort of fell their way. If they don't capitalize, they don't win. Like Jason, I'm like, I'm kind of agreeing with your previous take that the Lakers now have the most pressure to win a championship in all of sports now, because they do. Especially if the Clippers get knocked out tonight. Ben, go ahead, because I have a response to this, but I want you to go. So, first of all, I'm not Skip Bayless. I think if LeBron. LeBron wins his fourth title. I mean, I'm not going to be surprised. He should. He should win his fourth title, with, with, especially if, if he doesn't face the Clippers. But the 72-10 and 10 Bulls, they were supposed to win, right? And they did. The 73-9 and 9 Warriors, they were supposed to win. They didn't. It was a huge thing, right? I think it's, it's worse if you're supposed to win and you lose as opposed to if you're supposed to win and you win. If you're supposed to win, everyone expects you to win, right? And I'm not going to knock LeBron for winning a title. I'm just not. Especially no, if he plays well. I'm not knocking him if he wins a title either. He should win now. But if he loses, oh, it's rough. that's all I'm, yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to knock him. Like This, this championship is yeah. a championship. I'm up, I won't put an asterisk on it for him. I just don't, but if he I, loses, oh my God. Yeah, I just I don't see a team beating this Lakers team. I just don't. But um, I'm looking at a Celtics... Celtics Lakers finals, but I don't know, man. I might take the Lakers in that series, and it's 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 tough for me to say because then they would be tied with the Celtics for most championships, and that would just hurt my soul. So, I, I just realized, Ben, that like the audience doesn't know 
that we've been acting so juvenile behind the scenes. Like we're so adults and, and professionals on this, on this podcast. Oh, Jason, don't give us too much credit. It is. Oh my God, dude, we're going to be like 75 and wrestling with our canes. Like we, we fight over, <laughs> we fight over MJ LeBron, like almost on a weekly basis. Um, so that, that's, that's why I called Ben out there. Um, but the re the reason why ever like skip Bayless and I'm not going to lump you in here, Ben, um, they're going to overreact to, he doesn't play anyone in the playoffs. The reason why those opponents don't look formidable is because they go against the greatest athlete to ever live. They oh, my go, God. <laughs> they go against the greatest – like, they foil. They absolutely fold when they, when they face LeBron. There's a reason that the, the Trailblazers didn't – they look pathetic because they faced LeBron James. There's a reason James Harden flamed out in the playoffs. There's a reason – what Russell Westbrook and I know this is a perennial thing, but the the reason why they look so small and minuscule against the Lakers is because they played LeBron James, and it's going to happen again against the Den in the Denver series. Denver's not going to look like they do right now, but LeBron squishes every opponent that he comes across, except if you want to call the 2017 Warriors. That's it. That's my point. Or the 2011 Mavs, but. That's um, it. No, no, no. We're, we're stopping right there. No, no. That's all the time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's all the time we have for the final call this week. Yeah, uh, make sure it. that you check this out on our podcast page, wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're interested in doing a little bit of reading, go check out New England Sports uh, United.com, written by Jason Snow, or the scoreboardtimes.com, written by myself. Make sure you go check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Final Call MCC. I will not be here next episode, so Jason and Ben will be there to carry you guys through. But until next time, for Ben Mamoritas, for Jason Snow, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the Final Call on Radio Massasoit. be some kind of way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion